Hello, I'm Anna Pogutskaya. And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this is The Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. In this episode, Cordelia sees a doomed future for the coven, and we find out all about the Seven Wonders. (laughs) (laughs) No idea where that sound effect came from, but I appreciate it. (laughs) Today's episode, Go to Hell, was written by Jessica Scharzer. Let's remind ourselves she is the writer of A Simple Favor. Obsessed. Legendary. And directed by longtime collaborator Alfonso Comatrejón who has directed uh, many episodes of AHS already. So uh, before we kick off, I just wanted to mention one thing, and it's that at the end of last episode, we said that this is going to be the finale. Uh, that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I got ahead of myself and I thought this was going to be the finale. It is not. There is one more episode to go. <laughs> it's the beginning of the finale. Yes. The beginning of the end. Thank you, friend. So it is the beginning of the end, and we start this episode with a little a little movie exposition time with a silent film that dramatizes what the seven wonders are, uh, which are the seven uh, powers that a supreme mass uh, that a supreme must master to be named as the supreme. So, um, what what are your thoughts on the? On the little silent movie. I mean, they tried. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually being like, this is not convincing as a silent. F- but why? <laughs> it's like a silent film, but also it, it's meant to take place in the. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, oh, when were the Salem witch trials? Oh, my God. I don't know. I'm sorry. Whatever the Salem witch trials were, <laughs> which were before the invention of film. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, what? What? What is the logic here? But also, technically, it is Fiona recounting the Seven Wonders to Queenie. So it's literally like a dramatized version of her narration. <laughs> she so- just sounds like a silent movie when so she talks. Is this a vision of inside Fiona's head? And that's how she thinks? She sees things as like silent films? <laughs> <laughs> wow, she's way older than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> Very good moisturizer, Fiona. Very good moisturizer. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. It's cute, though. It's cute. It's cute. Sure. Fine. I mean, I would have preferred if it was like an 80s version of The Seven Wonders, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah, by presented by Stevie Nicks. But... <laughs> yes. Well, 70s in that case. Yes, yeah. Yes. And each transition between, instead of an intertitle, it could have just been a shawl twirl. <laughs> yes. I would have liked that so much more. That would have been great. Yeah. Also, more reason to like show us, you know, Supreme from the Ages or whatever, and different outfits that witches wore in different decades. Yes. Anyway. Instead of just like pilgrim outfits. Yeah. Boring. Which isn't. Even historically accurate. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can grumble, grumble. <laughs> so, uh, Queenie, 
who is the one inquiring about these the seven wonders and stuff uh there's she's got an interesting exchange with fiona where i don't know what to make of it that conversation that they have at the breakfast table because fiona is kind of both done with everything but also Queenie's kind of on a mission to look for Mary Laveau and Fiona has seemingly already kind of forgotten about her ally from literally one episode ago. Yeah, it's it's sort of difficult to figure out what part is the lie and what part is the truth in this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny that she called, what she called half-baked Beetlejuice for Papa Legba. Yeah, the Pretty disrespect. Rude. Like that's not gonna end. That's not gonna end well for you. Mm-mm. Don't don't call gods Beetlejuice. <laughs> also <laughs> implies that she's watched Beetlejuice, which is quite funny. <laughs> I like yes. that image. Yeah. I, I mean, I like that too. But then it just kind of makes me wonder again why the silent film version of her inner monologue or her exposition wanna i want to have a beetlejuice version of that anyway (laughs) (laughs) so queenie goes looking for mary laveau and we get her own version of hell so she kind of descends into hell to go looking for marie uh who we learn is scattered in pieces around the city but what do you make of queenie's visit to hell I, um, the place is called Chubby's, which is both, like, funny and also kind of realistic, because some of the American food chains do have names that are just, like, Lard Town. Mm -hmm. Um, come on down to Lard Town. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But yeah, like, I I kind of like it, because it is, there's an element of realism to it that, you know, I think... A lot of us have been there and you just have the absolute most soul-sucking job on the planet mm. and it just feels like and that's the thing, it's like when you're doing when you have when you're doing one of these these jobs where it's the the endless cycle of doing the same thing over and over again, it mm. does feel like like interminable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I it the concept kind of clicks for me that oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, someone's hell would be just working a fast food restaurant because yeah. it's just the the feeling that you have no idea when the day's going to end. Mm. Never, because you're in hell. And it's the constant humiliation as well by the customers who don't see Queenie as a person, don't see Queenie as a, as a smart young woman. They just see her as like a, a server, but also the the horrible tradition of people just like treating servers and uh, customer service staff as like subhuman people is is it all feeds into this idea of hell Mm, and asking for like way too specific things Mm -hmm. just order what's on the menu unless you have like a dietary requirement that requires you not having a particular thing in the food Mm -hmm. yeah come on Some of my bugbears is people with really weird orders just because they feel like being weird. (laughs) Yes. And in the meantime, Madame (laughs) Lalaurie has become a tour guide in her own house, which is the peak of narcissism. 
also when she, she there's the tour guide and she's talking about like oh she was well known for her equestrian abilities yeah. and, <laughs> and someone's like oh i read she's a massive serial killer oh that's a misprint yeah <laughs> how do you misprint serial killer <laughs> Oh god, what could what could that be a misprint of? A serial driller because she put up so many paintings in her mansion? Like what? Yes. A also- a serial killer because she just loved lucky charms and she would <laughs> devour them every single day. <laughs> I yeah. <sighs> We gotta love it. She like I love Kathy Bates in this scene because she Lolohe is just having so much fun just talking about herself in the third person. <laughs> yeah, and no one's like mm, you look a lot like the painting. Yeah. Sam. <laughs> Why do you look so much like this painting you're standing in front of describing this person? Mm. But also she gave herself a haircut and got a and got a power suit and got some earrings. Yeah. Now she just kind of looks like Kathy Bates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you make of Queenie's final confrontation with Lolori? It's uh, I, I'm kind of mixed on it because mm. parts of it I find really interesting and parts of it are like, oh, this is clumsy because we have sort of the side of it where it's just revealed that oh, okay, a woman like this could never be redeemed if that was always a fool's errand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which I think is, we we kind of talked about the way that it both does and doesn't subvert this idea of like the reformed racist. Yeah. And I think to end it on such a final like note of like, no, <laughs> mm-hmm. this is not worth, especially someone like Queenie's, you know, it's not worth her energy. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like I don't I don't know. Like I appreciate I guess Queenie's like optimism that she thinks that, you know, she says, Oh, I'll sign you up to the Urban League and you know, you can help the descendants of the people you brutalized. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she's talking about you can never pay for the crimes, but you can work towards redemption. Just yeah. like okay. I understand, but I don't know. Maybe I did like it, <laughs> but I've been so like, so much of the storyline has been clumsy. Mm. But then maybe it does. Maybe now thinking about it, it does end on a, a good note. Um, I mean, it's a good note because Lalaurie gets killed and gets sent to hell, but also in. Having been watching, rewatching, and discussing this whole season, it's this final scene. It just kind of makes me feel like what a waste of time it's been to pay so much attention to this redemption arc when her core character is a not is not interested, able to be redeemed, um, in any way, and is not even interested in in accepting her. Her transgressions and the re- the toxic, horrible reality of who she is and what she's done. So I'm like, okay, but if we're just gonna, if we were just gonna draw a circle, then why even 
you know, we could have been done with this storyline like five episodes ago. Amongst all of the heinous shit that she's done, not even in her uh, her time, but just with Queenie. Yeah, I guess like this whole message feels more like I don't know. It's like for white people who love Green Book. <laughs> do you get Do you get what I mean? Like it feels yep. like it's really targeted at people who really buy into those narratives mm. of like, hey, racism can be solved if like people just hang out. It's really that easy. It's not structural at all. Mm. Um, so I. <sighs> I I can understand that that's why they invested it so much into it because it's they wanted to sort of mislead that particular audience into thinking, mm. oh wow she's going to be redeemed, great, <laughs> I'm so excited, and then to be like, haha, no you're an idiot, <laughs> why did you ever think this? Yeah. But yeah, I agree. It's weird. Like I I appreciate where they were going and what they're doing with it, but it you're right that it was very it was kind of clumsy yeah it just kind of as much as i love kath bates um and her chemistry with gabori sidibe i think they do have really great chemistry uh i just wish they would have spent a bit more the time that they spent on developing the Loris character and i don't know more mary Laveau. yeah and done more with sort of queenie's relationship with yeah Voodoo, yeah, which, yeah yeah they kind of get into and then they also kind of don't get into (laughs) (laughs) so moving on to the next storyline and it's very covid focused because oh my god i thought you said covid no (laughs) 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 no that's hs season 12 (laughs) it's everywhere in our brains all the time (laughs) i'm sorry i'm sorry so in so while Fiona gets her portrait painted uh, by a British painter, Claude. <laughs> Claude. Claude. <laughs> Cordelia has a vision of the entire coven being slaughtered and goes to confront the Axeman. Your bow. Your undead bow. My, my undead bow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um she's pretty mean to him. Oh. I feel like it was unnecessary to call him a halfway decent musician in a twelve dollar suit. <laughs> I thought it was extremely accurate. <laughs> that suit costs more than twelve dollars. Come on. Maybe it costs like fifteen. At least twenty dollars <laughs> But maybe maybe twelve dollars in like nineteen hundreds money, yes. Yeah, that's like fifty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so actually it was a compliment. Thanks, Cordelia. She's actually, I mean, this scene is interesting because technically she's kind of trying to open his eyes because her mother is unredeemable. Yeah. Yeah, to be fair. (laughs) Like, I think. Yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of interesting that she decides to go there of all places. Can we talk though about the the sequence where she's talking to the Axeman and we see in like very um neon lit scenes 
she gets like in in her visions, she gets a vision of her mother and the Axeman in like this sexy neo noir lit oh, scenes, yeah. and I'm like, why? Because she's recognizing that her mom is both hot and bad, and that she's gonna leave him in a sexy way. <laughs> like it's gonna be a bit like it's like blue velvet. <laughs> Oh, God. I mean, like, American Horror Story wouldn't be American <laughs> Horror Story without unnecessary stylistic additions. True. I mean, I'm not going to lie, like, both Danny Houston and Jessica Lange look great in that neon lighting. Yes. Did we need it kind of through the visions of her daughter? No. <laughs> <laughs> But um, so let's let's stick with the Axeman for a second because he's very sad about this. Yeah. What do we want to skip forward to then? Yeah. No. Yes. Do we? Wait, which bit do we skip forward to? So there. So what happens next is that um, we we it's kind of done in an interesting way I think because we go back to the coven. And Cordelia has kind of grown some balls, really, and finds Misty, resurrects Misty, mis- brings her back to the coven, where Misty beats the shit out of Madison. Oh, she kicks her right in the butt, which oh. I found really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, she literally kicked her ass. Yeah. So, um, what do you make of this? And so everybody's coming back in this scene. Zoe comes back as well. Like everyone's kind of, oh yeah, back in the house, back in the coven. Kind of all the different threads are coming back together. What did you make of this um weird reunion? <laughs> Zoe did not go to Epcot. <laughs> that was her first mistake. She went. They went to Orlando, and they just went to some random park. It didn't even look like Florida. <laughs> this is probably the backlog really doesn't look like florida (laughs) and so yeah instead of going to epcot where they they could have um they could have gone on the grand fiesta river adventure and had a great time with the three caballeros (laughs) (laughs) they go to some random park and sit under a tree and then some guys like that's my tree that i hang out underneath (laughs) relatable Kyle murders him. <laughs> Oops. Oops. <laughs> and then she vitalum vitalises him and comes back to life. And then mm-hmm. she comes back and says, yeah, I'm the Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing. Everyone's powers are sort of are ramping up now mm-hmm. because Queenie also, when they're getting Misty out, mm-hmm. um, she like tears all the bricks apart of the mm-hmm. grave. It's very cool. So yeah, it's sort of this this and this is what we talked about before, this this growing tension of seeing mm-hmm. all the, the powers ramping up and knowing that it's gonna inevitably lead to this big standoff, which is not this, it's not Misty kicking <laughs> Madison in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> uh but this is kind of the pre the pre fight yeah. to the real showdown. Ah, uh, but bless Myrtle for being like, girls, stop these vulgar fisticuffs at once. I love her. But to be honest, like, Madison deserves it. 
She did have a little bit. She did like yeah. literally bury Misty alive. Yeah, somebody had to kick her in the butt mm-hmm. at some point. <laughs> but the the big thing happening is that the Axeman is in the Coven House as well, and he is. I didn't quite get how, but he is in human form. He is not in ghost form. Well, I... When they tried to bear... They, you know when they originally conjured him? Yeah. Because they did something. They messed up that ritual. And I think this whole time, like, he's not quite been a ghost ghost. Okay, so he's been an un, an unghosted ghost. Kind kind of. Okay. And they, okay. they sort of reference that in the dialogue in this episode of like, you you done messed up. Right, so they brought him back and he was sort of undead, or at least behaving like he was undead, but also he was kind of like Casper at the end of the Casper movie where he comes back as a real boy for a brief moment. He was exactly like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> really funny comparison. <laughs> well, well, you know, in Casper, Devon Sawa comes back as a real boy so he can have a dance and kiss Christina Ricci. And in American Horror Story Coven, Danny Elfa, uh, Danny Houston, come, <laughs> Danny Houston comes back. <laughs> is the X-Men. Ooh, I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> but first, we must play jazz and have loads of sex and neon lighting. So, um, unfortunately, we also learn that the X-Men, well, we see a flashback because after Cordelia went to chat to the X-Men, uh, Fiona comes back to him and she outfuckboys the Axeman, which really hurts him. She's real mean to him. I mean, he was never really a fuckboy, though, because he was pretty loyal to that <laughs> one lady he decided not to kill. <laughs> I mean, okay. I don't know. I it, I I don't trust Jasmine. So, like the line <laughs> as I've made you just must be cuz they all are. I don't know, but yeah, she fuckboys him. Yeah, cuz she's what well, okay, I found this confusing mm. <laughs> because he goes into her purse and finds a printout plane ticket. Mm-hmm. How does he know what planes are and what plane tickets? <laughs> Why would he know that that's a plane ticket? He's from the 1900s. Oh well, because Fiona would have told him. She told, uh, not Fiona. Um, Cordelia told him in the previous this scene is what a plane is. <laughs> <laughs> People, they go in planes and they go across the country now and you I get can... a little printout that they scan what scanning is <laughs> <laughs> like you know <laughs> I, 
I was just uh, he like he reacts so immediately to the printout of the plane ticket, and I was just like, "You are from the 1900s. <laughs> Why do you know exactly what this is immediately?" <laughs> I guess if you really boil it down, and I'm gonna take the Axemen's or AHS aside here. So if you really boil it down, if you see any piece of paper that has one place New Orleans on it, and then another place, I don't know where she was going. I can't remember. You kind of like you can you can. Joined the dots, I think. Right. So he was like, you were going to take a stagecoach? <laughs> <laughs> you were going to take a caravan. <laughs> we'll take the steamship to Paris. <laughs> I'll kill you. <laughs> uh, and he does. Yeah, he does. Sorry, that was a prelude to him. Just axes the fuck out of her. Yeah. Dead. Which, you know, is... It's pretty violent. And also, again, my point of never trust Jasmine and or undead serial killers. Yeah. No matter how much they call you baby doll. <laughs> just, I, I think my point stands. True. That I would argue that was more the Axeman part coming out <laughs> as opposed to the jazz. <laughs> Uh, well, okay. <laughs> I will accept that. Maybe the f- then feeding her to the alligators. Maybe that was the jazz part. The jazz. Yeah, that's the that's a drama. <laughs> that's a drama. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a, that's quite an unseemly end for Fiona Good. Yeah, but she sucks. So yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So we. Never to be pro-murder in any situation, but um, in American Horror Story context, yeah, she had it coming. Oh, yeah, very much so. <laughs> and then the coven in retaliation, history repeats itself and the coven stabs the Axeman to death the same way that he was originally murdered by the coven too. Oh yeah, and and Kyle's like, I'll I'm I'll do it. I'm the god dog, woof, woof. <laughs> and he goes there, and then they're all like, We don't need a man. We can murder our own men on our own because we're strong, independent ladies. Yes, <laughs> which was stupid, but I loved it. <laughs> I know it's just kind. Of, it's such like pop culture feminism. I'm like, yeah, okay, feminism. yes, yay, How ladies sh- doing their own murders. <laughs> lean in to the knife (laughs) (laughs) is that the the follow up is that the follow up to the show Sapphire book did I miss it yeah (laughs) lean in to the knife (laughs) oh god Oh man, and um Oh, that's actually a movie coming out that's kind of about that. <laughs> no way. Really funny. Called I Blame Society. Oh. Which is very good. It's about um this it's sort of like a spoof documentary about a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. It's Gillian Wallace Horvat, who is also the director, but she kind of plays herself in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh her friends once told her that she'd make a good murderer. So <laughs> she then like decides to make a documentary where she's going to stage 
a fake murder to prove what a good murderer she'd be. But then, obviously, it goes further than that because, oh you know, God. crazy satire, black comedy movie. That sounds it's super great. fun. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, okay. And then we've only got one scene really left to discuss, and it's what happens to Marie and Madame Lalaurie after they're killed. Well, Marie isn't really killed. She's like cut into pieces and all spread all over the city. But Lolari is mur- is killed by Queenie and she ends up in hell. Well, I guess we should explain because Queenie goes to chat to Papa Legba in hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, there's got to be a way to kill uh, Lalaurie, mm-hmm. Papa Legba says, well, you can't because as long as Marie Laveau is immortal, Lalaurie is also immortal. And then Queenie's like, ah, but uh, she's in the chapter not a little bit, so she can't bring you your sacrificial child every year. So mm-hmm. the deal is off. And he's like, ah, you got me. <laughs> Which I kind of enjoyed. Like, being like, oh, well, you got me. You're right. <laughs> uh, I guess she's dead. So she is dead. Mm-hmm. Right? So Marie Laveau is dead. Yes. Because the she loses the immortality. So I guess she just, like, her head just died. Yeah, which is, I guess, is like a really shitty... Um, it's a really shitty kind of consequence to her being chopped into pieces by Lalaurie and then um, not being able to fulfill her contract. And kind of just, again, unceremoniously dies. Yeah. Which, like, this this whole scene, story-wise, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because she murdered, like, several <laughs> centuries worth of babies. Yeah. It's not great. <laughs> no. But also, like, what a, like, disappointing end for her. Well, yeah. She doesn't even, like... Yeah, it's just she's such a great character. And I know she, like, murdered... A, in the in the story, murdered a whole, uh, you know, several centuries worth of babies. But at the same time, it's Marie Laveau. Yeah. And also, they all got to go to, like, baby Disneyland. Because that was the implication. Because Nan got to go to like the place, the place that had an H and M. So I don't know why I'm trying to defend this. <laughs> no, it's like it's it's an interesting version of hell for the both of them, though, isn't it? Because they're so Lolari is kind of stuck in her own torture chamber, but she's watching Mary Laveau torture her daughters and it's hell for her because even though she's not getting physically harmed she's watching her family being harmed and then Mary Laveau is being forced to perform these acts of violence when she herself is not a violent person yeah and well yeah because I guess it's the whole thing with the daughter which I found like (laughs) <laughs> kind of this like interesting ridiculous thing that Lalaurie says it's like well I murdered all these people I murdered all these these slaves and I murdered your mother and I murdered your child but hey I didn't murder your child in front of you 
So somehow that makes me better than you, which was just such the I mean such an insane thing to say. <laughs> the delusion. Yeah. <laughs> that she's trying to like in this circumstance keep her like morally above Marie Laveau. Mm. Um but yeah, so I guess it's like the the thing the thing that Marie says is is look, I the that daughter like never wronged me so that i think is the hell to her because everything that she did to lalaurie was deserved and you know her revenge is always like a moral thing you know it's a kind of a payback of she is the judge jury executioner um but mm-hmm. Bokita, the daughter mm-hmm. yeah was an innocent in her eyes mm-hmm. so even yeah. the oh, the babies were innocent, so it's the logic doesn't quite work. <laughs> so, <laughs> but there is some sort of internal logic to the hell that she's trapped in. Mm. But it just, yeah, it is just such a bummer ending for for that character. Yeah, and I guess the biggest, the most, the most hellish situation that they're both in is they have to spend eternity with each other when they hated each other. Yeah. So no one wins except Papa Legba. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's loving it. And is there anything that we haven't mentioned before we move on to our categories? No, I think we we basically covered everything. So let's move on to our categories then. What is your top quote of the episode? Uh, <laughs> um, just the really incredibly bad <laughs> double entendre that the Axeman delivers when he says, well, Cordelia walks in on him and he's like, I, he's like standing in front of the mirror with his saxophone. Of course. As one does. And he says, a man shouldn't be disturbed when he's playing his instrument. <laughs> <laughs> I hate him so much. <laughs> <laughs> Which implies that, like, the saxophone is part of the foreplay. Mm-hmm. Of, of course it is. Of course it is. Of course he plays this fucking saxophone <laughs> before he has sex with Fiona. Of course he does. I hate him. <laughs> yeah, the, his, the dick has definitely been inside the saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> he has definitely fucked that saxophone. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, my favorite quote, <laughs> <laughs> moving on safely, <laughs> is actually something you brought up before. It's a Myrtle Snow quote where she goes, Girls, stop these vulgar fisticuffs at once. And I just love the word fisticuffs a lot. <laughs> it's such a good word. It's such a great word. I actually use it all the time. <laughs> I know. I was writing a review this morning and I was like, I really want to put fisticuffs in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see whether it passes the edit. I'm pretty sure that I probably heard that word in this show and it just lodged itself in my brain because I've used it so much over the years. And I haven't rewatched the show this particular season since 2015. It's just like the perfect, like... You know, in the Regency period, men didn't fight. They had fisticuffs. I love it. It's so grand and silly at the same time. Yeah. 
It's like because they're wearing the tight pants and the coat with the little tail and mm. they're fisticuffing. <laughs> 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 they're not punching each other, which is like, yeah, because it's, 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 it describes to me a particular kind of fight as well. Mm-hmm. You're not really punching. You're just like, ee, like yeah, light, light slaps, light taps. Yes. It's not like fight club scenario. No. There's no such thing as a fisticuff club. Fisticuff club. Or maybe there should the be. The first rule of Fisty Club Club is that you <laughs> Fisty Cuff Club is that you tell everybody about it because it's the best club. Yes. <laughs> Spread the word. Welcome to the Fisty Cuff Club. <laughs> to the Fisty Club. I can't even say it. Fisty uh. Cuff Club. <laughs> um, what about best song? Was there a song in this episode? Um, well, my pick is during the I mean this is a really specific reason during mm-hmm. that silent film mm-hmm. the music is Chopin's Nocturne uh, oh my god I'm so musically illiterate I don't know what OP means <laughs> OP9 number 2 I have no idea is. please don't yell at me people <laughs> listening <laughs> um, and the reason the only reason I picked up on it is because is also um, plays during a specific level of a video game I really like called Bioshock Infinite. Okay. When you're down at Finkton Docks. And the point of the music is that um, this is the place where like the really oppressive slave labor happens in this game. Mm-hmm. And the music is like <laughs> kind of a torture device where it's like this, this, it plays to give this idea that everything is in order and everything is calm. But it's actually like really disturbing and creepy. So mm. I have a lot of like I don't know. Like so that that music is automatically creepy and disturbing to me, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't sound like it. Nice. Anyways, Bioshock Infinite, a great uh, game. <laughs> and what about your favorite fit of the episode? The outfit I liked the most was when mm-hmm. Myrtle is wearing kind of this floor-length yellow floral pattern dress thing. Uh-huh. I just liked the gloves she had. I couldn't quite figure out what they were, whether they were like a thick fishnet or they had little diamond cuts in them. But it just looked nice, like the contrast of the black and the yellow, like a very fashionable bee. Hmm. I enjoyed it. I'm How about you? I have got to go very basic and say that my favorite one was Madison's like golden shorts and her fluffy uh, like sweater thing. It's like oh, black yeah. black feather sweater and gold uh, short shorts. They're gold short shorts. <laughs> and she yeah. has the knee high socks as well. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. On. Yeah. They're it fun. looks fantastic for when Misty Day literally kicks her ass. <laughs> yeah. That, that's some fighting clothes. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, did you pick up on any witch puns? Oh, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think it's a witch pun, but the moment where Kyle goes, I'm Covent Guard Dog, I just thought, is is that a thing? Do all Covent have guard dogs? <laughs> is, that a, is, that a pun? is that a play of words? Well, because they had a literal dog and then he killed the dog, so he is new yeah. dog. <laughs> that's how it works (laughs) oh kyle bless you and what about the mvp of the episode i kind of want to say papa legba 
because he's just chilling. Yeah, he always gets paid. Everybody's dying, so he's mm. like, come on in. We've got plenty of room. <laughs> I think mine would have to be Cordelia. And not just because she's more of an active character in this in this episode, but also because in that one scene where Misty kicks Madison and starts to fight and starts beating her, Myrtle t- turns to Cordelia as like a figure of authority and she just goes, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah i love that moment yeah that is good and what about oh and did you pick up on any insensitive historical references this week well i don't not really the only thing is like the seven wonders mm-hmm. i was trying to figure out if there's any basis for them uh-huh and then no the answer seems to be no okay <laughs> <laughs> i might be wrong i just i just tried to like google seven wonders historical basis and nothing came <laughs> up um which is a sort of it, kind of the weird thing about the seven wonders because it's obviously from the song mm-hmm. the fleetwood mac song seven wonders but in that song she's talking about the seven wonders of the world (laughs) Um, (laughs) not like and in the video for it like they have like the sphinx and sphinx and the the taj mahal but then also i guess the witchy aspect is that the seven wonders of the world really are the ancient seven wonders of the world which were like in the hellenic guidebooks like the greek guidebooks of you know come check out the pyramid of Giza and the mm-hmm. colossus of Rhodes and the hanging gardens of Babylon it'll be fun <laughs> which maybe implies that because the song is about how she she could see all the seven wonders of the world and they still wouldn't be as beautiful as this like hot guy that she hooked mm-hmm. up with <laughs> um, but maybe it implies that she can time travel Aww. which Maybe right, because like I, I they kind of say that there are seven wonders of the modern world, but I don't think there's like an official list. No, but I like the. I mean, it's very AHS to take some element of pop culture and kind of use it as a springboard to expand upon it and um create a an insane universe <laughs> and just totally disregard the original context. Yeah, <laughs> why do you need original context? Tell yeah it's, it's just a drag because there's also i don't think there's any form of the supreme right that's a completely made up thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It totally as is well i'm surprised you didn't mention the halston thing i think i heard that line and i just didn't didn't sound interesting so i didn't google it <laughs> um but do you know who Holst- holston is yeah he's like the iconic 70s designer right he did the yeah. like, disco dresses Was yeah a tv show starring you mcgregor as halston uh there was a documentary that was released i think a few years ago about him he was super good fouls with um liza minnelli he dressed her a lot he was like very much part of the disco scene of the 70s uh like the whole studio 54 scene he kind of started off designing women's hats so he designed uh, Jackie Kennedy's uh, pillow box hat, 
that you wore to the inauguration of John F. Kennedy. Myrtle Snow kind of vaguely, very quickly references the fact that he grew in his own legacy by selling off his brand, so his name, to JCPenney. And he's not like as big a name as, say, Dior or anyone like that, or any kind of designers who had similar levels of prominence and kind of high standing amongst high society and kind of created uh, clothes that were zeitgeisty and iconic for the time. So that was a very throwaway reference that gets made to Holston, who did make, who was really, really prominent and really important, especially in for American women's for American women's wear, but uh, made several business decisions that kind of diluted uh, his brand and made him lose control of his brand and the legacy of his brand. And then he passed away very young, so he was in his fifties from AIDS related causes so and the fact that he had sold off his trademark while he was still alive just kind of meant that his you know the legacy of his work and his name did not kind of become as commonplace in on a worldwide stage as some of his contemporary designers did yeah because halston is not a contemporary brand right do they Mm. still i I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. It's not. It's not like a house of Holston in the same way as like there's a house of Chanel, or a house of Dior, or people like that. And then the creative directors change, but the brand is intact and the legacy is very protected. Yeah, like I don't think Holston like shows at Fashion Week. No, I don't think so. No, mm-hmm. which is which is kind of I think is what the very throwaway insensitive reference is. Like he was one of those people. And his legacy kind of got diluted. But hey, Yves Saint Laurent was never played by Ian McGregor, so yet. I mean, that yet should, <laughs> that should never happen. <laughs> He's <laughs> gonna play all the fashion designers. Please don't have a Scottish Coco man. Chanel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would watch that. I would watch that. But it's Ian not gonna McGregor happen. Is Coco Chanel. <laughs> yeah, that man can play a shark. Hmm. He can do anything. Yes, he can. I think that's it for this episode. What can we expect from the next one? In the next episode, it's the actual (laughs) finale of the series, and we will find out who the next Supreme is. It's us. Spoiler alert. Yeah, it's us. We make a cameo. Yeah. (laughs) We got got Star Wars into the finale. (laughs) Yeah. like I I don't know if you realized when you were starting to listen to this podcast that we actually do appear in the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's the big surprise guess. That is yeah. the big reveal. Like we we're yeah. in the background where is Stevie singing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then the model goes, Oh, actually I'm the the next supreme of these two is these two random <laughs> girls who just turned up. <laughs> That's it. Goodbye. The end of the season. <laughs> true you'll find out next week yeah it's definitely true and it will definitely still be true next week (laughs) 100% we'll be back next Wednesday with the last episode of American Horror Story Coven in the meantime send us your thoughts on Twitter follow us at Pod. also you can find me at Clarice Liu and I am at Anna B. Demented Lily Livered yeah I just (laughs) (laughs) I just put that in the notes because I really love that as an insult. It's like, I need to remember that. 
It's like fisticuffs. It's yeah. Like... It's like, I just want to be able to, not that I go around insulting people, I want to be able to use it in real life in a sentence. It's like, you lily-livered fool. You lily-livered. I don't even know what it means. I should Google that. Oh, it means you have like a weak liver, right? I think it's literally about the liver, isn't it? Oh, well, that's not fun. No one wants a weak liver. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> okay, no, no, now I want to lit this up. <laughs> oh, oh, it's from the medieval belief that the liver was the seat of courage oh. and the pale color of the lily flower. A person who had no blood in their liver would have no courage and would thus be a coward. <laughs> I love it. Definitely gonna gonna wait for someone to be to call them lily livered. Your liver does not have the color that a brave person would have. <laughs> Your liver is too pale. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs>